Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Welcome once again to Canadians in Old Time Radio. I'm Devin Wilkins. I thought that since we played two shows from our Made in Canada file a couple of weeks ago, tonight we'd play two programs from our Canadians Abroad uh, file. We're going to start with The Shadow from November 24th, 1946 featuring Toronto-born Grace Matthews, who also played in Big Sister. And the title of the episode is Gang Doctor. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men the shadow knows. <laughs> now, the Carry Salt Company, producer of salt for every farm and home use, brings you the thrilling adventures of the shadow, the hard and relentless fight of one man against the forces of evil. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. In just a minute, today's exciting adventure will begin. But first, when you go to the store to pick out apples, it's easy to choose the best apples. You can see the difference. But it's not so easy to pick the best salt by its appearance. Most salt looks alike. But just you try using Kerry salt. See how different it is. See how its goodness goes deep down into the heart of food. Yes, ma'am, once you've used Kerry salt, you'll agree Kerry salt is different. Kerry salt is deep penetrating. Here's why. Kerry salt is extra refined. So, of course, it always carries the flavor. Get Kerry's table salt at your favorite food store tomorrow. In the round white box with a bright red band. It comes either iodized for added health protection or plain. But now, the shadow. The shadow who aids the forces of law and order is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret. The hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, Gang Doctor. It is midnight. In a sub-cellar of an old brownstone house, an operation is being performed. The patient, sprawled out on a makeshift operating table, winces as a man in a soiled surgical gown applies the scalpel to portions of his face. Uh, 
Can't you give me something to call Clappy? Doc, I can't stand it. If we can do it, Nova, Jean. Oh. Oh, I never knew when I'd like this. Oh, not as bad as the electric chair. Don't move now. Oh, please, Doc, easy. Joey, eat up the paraffin. Okay, Doc. Paraffin? What's that for? You gotta build up those cheekbones of yours. Give your face a different expression. Oh, if I wasn't so hot, I'd never go through with this. You should have thought of that before you killed that bank messenger, Trigger. I didn't figure on pinning anyone down when I pulled that bank job. If that bank messenger hadn't got so nose, I still... <laughs> you sure this is going to be a new face, Doc? Something nobody will recognize? Results guaranteed, Trigger. It ought to be a good job. It's going to cost you enough. Uh, I hadn't figured it that way, Doc. How much? Twenty grand. Twenty are you out of your mind, Doc? I ain't got that kind of dough. There was $40,000 in that pouch you got from the bank messenger, and my fee runs to 50% of the gross for a job like this. That's 20 grand. That's a holdup, Doc. I will pay. Harrison's ready, Doc. I won't pay. Yeah. You're going to get a new face, and you're going to pay for it. And I'll lie still. Oh, oh, easy, easy, Doc. <laughs> Take it easy. More paraffin, Joey. No, no more. Please, no more. Hold his head, Joey. Uh, we're going near the eyes. Oh, I can't stand any more, Doc. Clamp, Joey. Oh, I'm a small, Doc. I can't take much more. We've just started, Trigger. This is only the beginning. Hello, Murph. What'll it be? I ain't drinking, Gus. Uh, some guy wanting to see me? Yeah, the guy in the check suit over there, Murph. Said he knows you. Huh? <laughs> Never seen him before. He ain't copper, is he? Yeah, he looks more like a loser, Murph. Lily white skin of his looks strictly big house to me. Yeah, besides, a copper would know better than to come working in this joint alone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Gus. Thanks a lot. Let's see what's on his mind. Hey, here you was. Looking for me, mister? Yeah, yeah. Sit down, Murph. Oh, I... How do you know my name? Maybe you'd get friendly if I mentioned my name. The boys who know me call me Trigger. Trick? Uh, you're kidding. You don't look no more like Trigger than I do. So what? You didn't expect me to be showing that old kisser of mine under the cop's nose, did you? I had embroidery done. Jeez, yeah. That's a beautiful job, too. Well? What do you want? Now, look. You're still chummy with that private eye, Lamont Cranston, ain't you? I know him. So what? Him and Commissioner Weston never broke that corning case that happened about five years ago, did they? No. Cranston would like to break it. I suppose I help him break it. How could you? They got one print of the killer. They never matched it. Suppose I tell him where they can match it. What do you get out of this? Nothing you got to pay off. There's a guy trying to put the tap on me for 20 grand. Now, with Cranston on his tail, maybe he'll end up where he won't worry about me. Or is it 20 grand? Oh, a remake, huh? Never mind. Is it a deal? Okay. Yeah, it's a deal. Good. Here's what you do. Call Cranston. See him tonight. Thank you about the Winters invitation for the weekend, darling. Uh, looks like I'll have to accept, Margot. Doesn't seem to be any way out of it. Oh, it won't be that bad. I'll be there. <laughs> oh, I'll get it. All right. Yes? This is my... Is Mr. Cranston there? Just a second, Murph. See you, darling. Go. Cool. Thanks. 
Hello, Murph. How's crime? Uh, quit your kidding, Mr. Cranston. You know, I tipped that up years ago. <laughs> What's on your mind, Murph? I got something for you, Mr. Cranston. Something hot. Well, good. What is it? A line on that guy who did the corning killing. Corning, huh? How good is your tip, Murph? Pretty good, pretty good there. Comes from a red hot who's on the lamb. He's got a grudge against the killer. But his red hot says he, he, he'll spill it to you. Well, that's very flattering, but why me? I guess he knows you're pretty anxious to crack that corning case. Besides, like I said, he, he got a grudge against the killer. Might be worth looking into, Murph. When and where do I get this information? Well, it's better, it's better if you and me ain't seen together in town. Better meet up at my place tonight. Mr. Cranston, you know what it is? No, uh, better give me the directions. It's a little hideout two miles outside of Walk Hill. Mm-hmm. You can't miss it. It's an old shack, like, on the left side of the road. Okay, Murph. I'll be there. You'll be where, darling? Murph's place. Claims there's a line on the saddest who killed the Corning child five years ago. Why come to you? Why doesn't he give this information to the police? Well, he knows of my personal interest in the case. Besides, his informant apparently isn't on speaking terms with the police. Don't get mixed up in that case again, darling, please. That killer was a cold-blooded maniac. Yes, I know, Margot. That's all the more reason why I'm not going to rest until he's brought to justice. I'm coming, I'm coming. Take it easy there, I'm coming. You're Murph, aren't you? Who are you? Just call me Doc. Uh, we thought we'd have a little talk with you, Murph. Let's go in where we'll be comfortable, eh, John? Hey, oh, you're pushing there. Pardon me, Murph. I didn't know you had your foot against the door. Wait a minute, you guys. I'm busy here. I'm expecting someone. Better bolt the door, Joey. We don't want to be disturbed. What is all this? We've got mutual friends, Murph. Trigger, for instance. Trig? Trig? Yeah. Joe here's been keeping an eye on Trigger. He saw you and Trigger talking today. Very confidentially. What were you talking about, Murph? Nothing. You gonna be difficult, Murph? I don't mind, but you may. <laughs> oh, my arm. Oh, my arm. You just break it. Tell us about it, Murph. I, we, we were talking about no snatch job. The, the, the corning job. What about the corning job, Murph? <laughs> He wanted me to contact Lamont Cranston for him. Oh, I squeal, huh? And did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, what's it to you guys? What did he tell you about the corning job, Murph? Nothing. Nothing at all. Don't talk, Murph. He didn't tell me nothing, I told you. He just wanted me to set up a date with Cranston tonight. Here. Here? We don't have much time, Doc. No. We'd better get started, Joey. What are you going to do? You seem so interested in the Corning case, Murph. I thought maybe I'd show you how it was done. You! You're the Corning killer! Yes, Murph, and I think we'd better reenact the operation on you. What are you talking about? Okay, Joey. Take over. Thanks, Doc. Come here, Murph. Put up the knife. I I, I ain't gonna do no talking. Come here, Murph. Doc, Doc, keep him away, Doc. Please. Come here, Murph. No. Come to little Joey. No. Come to Joey, Murph. We should be pretty nearly there, Margot. According to the speedometer, we're just about two miles beyond Walkill. Mm. 
There's an unpainted old shack over there, Lamont, but hmm? the windows are all boarded up. But said it would be. Oh? This wagon path leading up to it doesn't look very good for the springs. Uh, about as far as we can go. Have to walk the rest of the way, darling. Ooh, what a desolate place. Suppose Murph really lived here? No, but I wouldn't be surprised at what it's ideal for some of his enterprises. Oh, I thought you said Murph was a reformed character, darling. <laughs> well, I suspect he still has occasional relapse. Well, Lamont is not even a light in the place. Darling, maybe you'd better go back and sit in the car. I'll go investigate. Nothing doing. Where you go, I go, Mr. Cranston. Okay. Come on, then. Still don't think this can be the place? So deserted looking. If he's expecting us, why isn't there a light of some sort? We'll find out soon enough. Door's open. Eh? Stand back, darling. Hi. You in there, Murph? You see, Lamont, there's no one here. Let's go back. What's that? Someone's in there, all right. Give me that flashlight. All right. See anyone? Lamont, it's a man. He's getting up from the floor. Oh, Murph must have fallen asleep. Is that you, Murph? Lamont, why doesn't he answer? Murph. <laughs> Is anything wrong with... <laughs> Murph. Better not look, darling. You're right, Murph. It's all right, Murph. It's Cranston. Who who did this to you? Lamont, what's that note pinned to his shirt? I don't know. It's not pinned to his shirt, Margot. It's stuck to his chest with a knife. Oh. What's it say? Wait a minute. Here's another one to baffle you, Cranston, just as the Corning case baffled you. The Corning killer? He knows you're here. Yes, he must... Look, look there, Margaret. There's smoke coming in under the door. Hey, wait a second. Door's locked. Windows are boarded up solid. We've got to get out of here. Yes, we've got to take Murph with us. Come on. He's written something flat on the floor. What's it say? T R I G G E R. Trigger. Is he the one who did this, Murph? He's shaking his head no. Is, is he the one who had the information about the Corning killer? Yes? Where, where can I find him, Murph? I, I can't make out what he's writing, darling. So he's shaking. M-E-R... M... The mermaid? Oh, hurry, Murph, hurry. What's he writing now? Looks Smoke. like... T-L-A-S... Commander, stop. Murph... What else? Murph. What is it, darling? He's written all he's going to write, Margot. Murph's dead. Oh. <laughs> We'd better get out of here before we are, too. <laughs> it's getting worse. I can hardly see. The place is going up like tinder. Hold the flash on the door. Maybe we can smash our way out. It's giving way. Hurry, darling. Uh, that did it. Uh, stay close behind me, darling. Let's get out of here. I wouldn't come out that door if I were you, Mr. Cranston. I'm a very good shot. Drop that gun. Drop that gun. Oh, God! We'll return to the shadow in just a minute. 
Lamont and Margot on the trail of a solution of a five-year-old crime find the mutilated body of Murph, one of Cranston's undercover assistants. Before they can get out of Murph's hideout, however, the killer sets the old house afire and fires at Cranston as he tries to get Margot out of the flaming building. Lamont! I'm, I'm all right, Margot. I guess the bullet just grazed my skull. Oh, thank heaven. Lamont, isn't that a car pulling Yes. I guess he thinks he got me. Let's get out of here. This roof can't last much longer. What are you going to do, darling? Those flames will hide all evidence of the crime. Evidence or no evidence, we know what happened back in there, Margot. Now I'm determined that the Corning killer is going to be caught. Come on, darling, we're going to the mermaid and see what Trigger knows about the letters P-L-A-S. The mermaid, Lamont. <laughs> Not exactly the short club, is it? This is Trigger. I don't see him. Are you sure you know what he looks like, Tom? That gunman? I've seen his face in the rogues' gallery so many times. What does he, mister? We're looking for a Trigger, bartender. Uh, so a 10,000 copper. friend of ours named Murph told us we'd find him here. Oh, you know Murph? Yeah. Okay, try the guy in the check suit over there. What'll it be, boys? Is that Trigger, Lamont? No, it doesn't look like him, exactly. Come on, let's go up and talk to him anyway. I've got an idea. Good evening. This table's taken. Yeah, so I see. Blow, I just... mister. I ain't no talking mood. It's about Murph. I said blow. Light for that cigarette? Hey, get that match out of my face. Murph's dead, bigger. Flashed to death. What? I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm not it. I don't know, Murph, and I don't know you. You're not leaving us. Yeah. Was you figuring on trying to stop me? No, not at all. Sorry you don't like our company. That breaks my heart. Don't let him get away, Lamont. Worry, when I want to begin, I'll know where to find him. How? Sitting over here and giving Shreve the high sign like this. You follow him in his car. You think of everything. Better not let the bartender see you wrapping that glass in your handkerchief. I have to risk it, Margot. I've got to make sure that our check-suited friend was who I think he was in spite of plastic surgery. Plastic surgery? Yes. Did you notice when I offered him the light for a cigarette? Yes, I couldn't understand why he was being so accommodating. I held the match very close to his face. That way I was able to see the tiny stars that would be invisible otherwise. The letters P-L-A-S. Plastic surgery, of course. Then you think that war trigger we just talked to? Well, I'll be sure when I get a set of triggers print from the police, and then compare them in the lab with the prints I get off this glass. And if they match? If they match Margot, our friend Trigger's going to receive a visit from the Shadow. <laughs> Hello, Trigger. What? Why are you packing a trunk? Planning on going somewhere? Who said that? Where are you? Put away the gun, Trigger. I'm right here. Only you can't see me. Who are you? What do you want? I'm the shadow, and I want the truth, Trigger. Why are you running away? You think I want to get carved up? Like Murph, Trigger? What? No, a lot, Shadow. Too much. Look, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you anything the you want. The shadow makes no deals. The shadow's only interest is justice. Who killed Murph? I, I don't know. Who I killed think... Murph, Trigger? I, I, I guess it was either the doctor or that male nurse. Yeah, that's the way they killed it with a knife. They killed Murph because he knew something about the Corning case, Trigger. Was that why they killed him? Yeah, I, I guess so. Who murdered the Corning child? 
Well, if I tell you... you There's no if about it, Trigger. Tell me, who killed the Corning child? Doc. Doc Winston. Where is this Doc Winston? Up on 68th Street. Second house across from Avenue. I'm going to pay a visit to Dr. Winston, Trigger. If you haven't told the truth, you'll answer to the shadow. <laughs> Mm. I'm positive. 68, three second house. Wait a second, here comes someone. Cody. Oh. We'd like to see Dr. Winston. He's not here. You'll have to come back. Pardon me. I think we'll come in and see for ourselves. Take your foot out of that door. Sorry to be so rough. You're not very hospitable. Come in, Margo. Thanks. What is it? Didn't we almost meet face-to-face at Wallkill earlier this evening, Joey? I did miss you, didn't I? I never did trust guns, Mr. Clancy. They do so much shouting and get so few results. Look out, Lamont. Drop that knife, Joey. You had your chance to get away, Mr. Clancy. I said drop that knife, Joey. No, I'm going to sink it in your throat. Drop it out. My, oh, my, my arm. I'll drop it out. Pick up the knife, Margo. Got it. Now, Joey, a few questions. Where's Winston? I won't tell you. I won't. I haven't had enough. Hey, all no, right, no, Joey. No, no, no. Please. Where is he? He's gone to see somebody. A patient named Trigger. Trigger? You're not lying, Joey. No, I'm not lying. You gotta get there right away, Margot. Well, what about Joey? Got something here to keep him quiet till the police can pick him up. Oh, Hank, how's wonderful. There, Joey. Now, in case you get the wanderlust, you can carry that radiator along with you. I think it'll be much more comfortable just to sit tight until the police get here. Hello, Trigger. Huh? Expecting me? Doc! Don't move fast, Trigger. Turn around real slow. What's the idea to come, Doc? I ain't done nothing. Well, looks like you're planning a trip, Trigger. Couldn't be that you were skipping town because some plans of yours didn't quite work out. Could it, Trigger? Hey, look, I got the dough for you right here, Doc. That's what you wanted. Ain't it, Doc? The dough, huh? Sure. And I'll take the dough, Trigger. And then I'll take you. What are you talking about? You tried to frame me, Trigger, and I'm going to kill you for it. It's as simple as that. Oh, no, wait a second. before we part company, Trigger, I'm going to take back something I gave you. What are you talking about? I'm going to repossess that face of yours, Trigger, piece by piece. Oh, no, no, you, you could you could do that to me. I gave it to you. I ought to have a chance to take it away again if I want to. Shouldn't I, Trigger? That's only fair. <laughs> you talk too much, Doc. Well, I underestimated you, Trigger. Yeah. It kind of looks a little different from this end on it, Doc. Now listen, Trigger. Yo, listen, Doc. There's been a lot of cutting going on. You and that male nurse of yours have been talking big with the knife. Look, I'm a pretty fast kid with a gun, Doc. But now I'm going to try a little of this knife work, too. Hey, you're going to be my first patient, Doc. Now, wait a second. I used to I... be a butcher when I was a kid, Doc. You didn't know that, did you? Of course, I never worked on a person before, but I'm not too old to learn, am I, Doc? Stay away from me, Trigger. You're sweating, Doc. Oh, you ain't one of them sawbones that can't take his own medicine, are you? Now lie down on that bed. Don't do it, Trigger. Oh, you forgot the ether, didn't you? Oh, well, his baggage straps will do it. Uh, 
Fetch your arm. That'll keep you from moving. Let me up. Ah, let me see what kind of instruments you brought. Oh, now, personally, I like this long-bladed knife. For heaven's sake, Trigger, use the gun. Kill me, Queen. Use the gun. And have the trunk go to waste. No, oh, you wouldn't want that, would you, Doc? No, Trigger, no. Oh, you ain't a good patient, Doc. You yell before you're even hurt. No. Now, let's see you when I really... <laughs> uh, what was that? Who knocked that knife out of my hand? The shadow, Trigger. What? <laughs> I said I'd come back. You can't stop me. I'm going to kill him. He's got to come and talk. Save me, Shadow. Save me. I'll save you, Winston, but not because I have any mercy for you. So you'll die in the electric chair for the corning murder. I'll confess to it. I'll do it as he can tie me. Don't let him do it. I'll kill it, Doc, and I'll kill you too, Shadow. You can't kill what you can't see. You're finished, Trigger. Police are already on their way. Maybe, but I'll get you before they get me. Untie me, Shadow. Untie me. Good idea, Winston. No. Stay away from him. Stay away or I'll shoot. Have my gun. Now then, Trigger. What's around me? Take it off me. Take it off me. <laughs> it's only a baggage strap, Trigger. It'll hold until the police arrive. They're here right now. Untie me, Shadow. You said you'd untie me. It was just a trap. Bring Trigger near the bed or I could tie you both up with this trap. Now, Winston, you'll stay tied and so will you, Trigger. When the police arrive, they'll find you both ready and waiting to be taken to the electric chair. <laughs> Copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. The characters, names, places, and plots are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Again next week, the shadow will demonstrate that the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, the Carrie Salt Company brings you another strange and thrilling adventure in the shadow's daring battle against the forces of evil. Meanwhile, remember, there's a Carrie Salt for every farm and home use. Look for the package with a bright red band. And here's a reminder. Do you attend church regularly? There's a place for you and your talent in the church of your choice. Be a part of the United Church Canvas. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Now an episode of Escape from November 24th, 1950, probably about the same time that I was making my debut into the world. We have Winnipeg-born Jack Crucian starring in an episode called Journey into Fear. You, finding life rather dull, dreaming again of exotic places, 
wishing you were somewhere else, we offer you Escape. Escape with us now to Istanbul, the nerve center of Balkan intrigue and violence, and the story of a man caught in the fatal web of the most cold-blooded political organization on earth, as Eric Embler tells it in his famous tale, Journey into Fear. Bonsoir, monsieur. Bonsoir. It seemed as if a bar of white hot metal had been suddenly pressed against my hand. And then it was numb. But I could feel the blood beginning to trickle through my fingers. There, there wasn't a sound. And as I crouched against the wall, I became dimly aware that the window was open and that someone was moving by it. And then my eyes, becoming used to the darkness, saw that whoever had been at the window had left by it. I, I reached for the light switch and found it. The hand hurt like the very devil. Is is that you, Kopekin? Yes, what is it? I have only this moment come in. Uh, Where are you? I'm in my in my hotel room. Listen, something rather stupid has happened there. There was a burglar up here. He took pot shots at me as I came in, and one of them hit me in the hand. Are you badly hurt? No, but it, it, it gave me a nasty shock. Have the police been notified? No, not yet. Good. Leave the matter to me. I will speak to a friend of mine about it. He is connected to the police and with great influence. As soon as I am finished, I shall come over. Well, there's, there's no need for that. Excuse me, my dear fellow. There is ever a need. You must stay in your room until I arrive. Well, I had no intention of going out. Well, if you must come over, Kopekin, please hurry. I, I, I want to get some sleep tonight. occurred to you that this man was shooting to kill you and that he came here for no other purpose? Oh, that's nonsense. The man was a thief. Why should anyone wish to kill me? I'm the most harmless man alive. Are you? Remember I told you that I was going to telephone a friend of mine? Yes. We are going to see him at once. Oh, well, I'm jolly well not. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Unfortunately, I have official instructions. A man tried to murder you tonight. Something must be done about it at once. Murder? Are you out of your mind? I am sorry, my dear fellow. I can understand your feelings. But this friend of mine is Colonel Haki. He's the head of the Turkish secret police. Oh, now look here, Kopekin. What's this all about? I thought you were my company's Turkish representative. Now you talk about secret service and all that rubbish. Please, I cannot tell you anything more. It is to our mutual interest that we go at once to Colonel Haki. 
You must believe me. All this hysteria of absolutely nothing. My dear fellow, it is most certainly not nothing. Get your overcoat. It's cold out. You must realize, Mr. Graham, that an attempt was made to kill you tonight. Well, now, I don't see that at all. I mean, I disturbed a thief at his work. He fired at me and escaped. A thief? Unfortunately, no. I have a duty to do, Mr. Graham. It is to protect you. Protect me? From what? You are in the employ of vessels Cater and Bliss Limited, the English armament manufacturers. Yes. You are, I believe, Mr. Graham... A naval ordnance expert. I'm, I'm an engineer, and naval ordnance happens to be my subject. Exactly. And your firm has contracted to do some work for my government. Certain new guns and torpedoes to rearm our naval vessels. Well, that's true. It is also true that our government stipulated that the work should be completed before spring. Yes. Exactly. Due to the international situation, we must have the equipment in our dockyards by that time. Let us suppose, then, that your thief had not merely grazed a hand, but had killed you. Well, naturally, my, my company would send another man out. Which would take time, eh, Mr. Gray? Unless, of course, there exist sketches, drawings, and all that they need to know about our ships. Oh. Uh, no. I, I mean, I was forbidden to put certain things on paper. Ah. Then, if you were to die... It would take a great deal of time for another man to accomplish what you have already done, no? And when spring comes, our Navy's strength is still precisely what it is now. Do you know, Mr. Graham, that our enemies will do anything to see that it is so? Anything, Mr. Graham. Do you understand? Oh. Quite so. I have here, Mr. Graham, a photograph of a man... I am aware you did not catch a glimpse of the assassin's face, but I want you to cast your mind back over the time you have been in Turkey and tell me if you have ever seen him before. All right. Uh, uh, hello. Yes. You are sure? Positive. Have a look, Kopekin. He was at the cabaret you took me to tonight. I remember him at the bar. Yes, he was there. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Vanat, Romanian. A hired murderer. We know him well. His price ranges from 50,000 francs upward. His employer is a man named Voroshin, who in turn is hired by his country to eliminate you. Unfortunately, we possess no photograph of him. I begin to understand. Of course you do. Now, we face the problem. You must return to England safely. But how? The train is out of the question. You wouldn't live for an hour. The aeroplane. Unfortunately, the weather here has disrupted service. There is the Sestri Levante sailing for Athens tomorrow afternoon. It is a small boat. Mm -hmm. And we can see that your enemies do not board her. From Athens, you can take the plane to England. Well, I, I, I don't know, Colonel. Uh, in view of what you've told me, perhaps I should get in touch with the British Embassy here. And what do you expect them to do? Send you home in a cruiser? No, no, my dear Mr. Graham. This is a question of time. Leaving tomorrow afternoon will land you in Athens the day after. That is how it is to be. Well, I, I seem to have no choice in the matter. I am happy to see that you are cooperative. Return to your hotel, Mr. Graham. 
We shall see you safely aboard tomorrow. The next afternoon, Kopekin and Colonel Haki saw me aboard. As a bon voyage gift, they presented me with a bottle of Johnny Walker and a small pistol, both of which I put in my suitcase. Besides myself, there were four other passengers, all of whom Colonel Haki assured me were harmless. The gangway went down. I felt the ship sway gently, and the journey had begun. My companions were an odd assortment of continental travelers. There were the Matis who occupied the cabin next to mine, a middle-aged French couple who argued incessantly. Their voices penetrated the thin wooden bulkhead with dismaying ease. The sheets are damp. No, no, it is simply that they are cold. It does not matter. You think not. You may sleep as you wish, but do not complain to me about your kidneys. Cold sheets do not harm the kidneys, Sherry. We have paid for our tickets. We are entitled. Then there was a Mr. Cuvetli, whom I learned at the dinner table was a dealer in tobacco. A short, heavy man with a smile fixed like that of a ventriloquist doll. I go to England. Trade in tobacco is very good. England buys much tobacco from Turkey, you know. With American dollars so expensive and possibility of war, it is good business, Mr. Mati. So, uh, I arrange a good deal of transportation for tobacco companies. Ah. Uh, what company do you represent? Uh, Passar of Istanbul. Passar? I, I must I... say these ravioli are exquisite. The last passenger was a thick, round-shouldered man with a pale face and prominent blue eyes. He introduced himself over a brandy in the lounge. My name is Haller, Dr. Fritz Haller. I am a German, a West German, and I am on my way back to my country. Oh, have you been long in Turkey? A few weeks. I came there from Persia. Ah, the oil business, hmm? No, Mr. Kelly. Archaeology. Oh, how interesting. Those were my fellow passengers. At nine o'clock that night, the cutter came out from Kanakali to take off the pilot, and with it came a telegram. It was from Kopekin in Istanbul, and it read, H requests me to inform you that Banat left for Sofia on train. All well. Safe journey to England. Best wishes. I, I thought of the pistol in my cabin, and I, I laughed to myself. It was an Aegean day, intensely colored in the sun, with small pink clouds drifting in a bleached indigo sea. I lazed in my bunk. I had coffee sent in. And later, I was standing by the rail talking to the little Frenchman. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, my wife has no appreciation for the lights such as these. Oh, what a shame. Uh, my wife, you mean? Oh, well, one cannot have everything. She is a wonderful cook. How fortunate. Yes. Oh, by the way, have you met our new passenger? New passenger? Yes, didn't you know? We stopped at the island of Lemnos during the night. He came aboard then. Uh, a Greek, I think. I hardly heard what he said. Not very sociable Because idea, at that moment from the lounge stepped a man. Beneath the high-crowned, soft-felt hat with the pale, doughy features of a face I had seen before. A face in a photograph. A photograph that Colonel Hockey had shown me. It was the man who had tried to kill me. The Romanian. Banat. 
Escape, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, returns in just a moment. And now, back to Escape. I heard Matisse's voice as though from a long way off. Monsieur, do you not feel well? Then I turned, and without Monsieur. looking at the man who had just come on deck, I went below. Somehow, Barnat must have learned that I was on the Sestri Levante. He had taken the train for Sofia, and then as soon as it had crossed the Greek border, left it. It was a simple thing to fly from there to Lemnos. I thought of the telegram. All well. Those idiots. And now I was caught. Barnat wouldn't miss twice. He was a professional murderer. I had to get help. And so I went to the purser's office. He was a precise little man who smiled when I talked to him. Look, uh, I found out there is a man on this ship who is here for the express purpose of murdering me. Indeed? And what is his name? Banat. B-A-N-A-T. He's a Romanian. He... Banat? Banat? Uh, one moment, sir. And I look here. You don't suppose he'd give his real name, do you? Banat? No. There is no one of that name or nationality aboard. He got on during the night at Lemnos. Oh, there is Mr. Mavrodopoulos. He's a Greek businessman. That may be what his passport says. His real name is Banat and he's a Romanian. Have you proof of that? Have I proof? Now, look. If you're just radio Colonel Haki of the Turkish police at Istanbul, he'll confirm what I say. As I say, sir, we do not have radio for that purpose. I suggest that you leave the matter until we reach Athens. But can't you understand that man intends to kill me? No, sir, I do not understand. Nobody on this ship is going to murder you. There are too many people about. You have had bad dreams. It is ridiculous. I want to see the captain. I am extremely busy, sir. If you will close the door as you leave. I was almost sick with fear and anger as I left, and I went back to my cabin. Well, I could still go to the captain, but I could well imagine his reaction to my story. There was no proof, and these people were loath to stir up international complications. No. I was alone with my murderer somewhere on the ship with me. And then I remembered the revolver Kopakin had given me. I'd never handled a gun before, but at least it would give me a chance. It was something. I went to my suitcase and I opened it. Well, it must be. I, and I put it in myself just before I got on board. It had to be there. There was nothing. Someone had been in my cabin and had taken the gun. Graham, we were all worried about you. I told them that you had a sickness, too much sea. Oh, oui, ma Well, I'm sorry. I, I had rather a bad headache. I hope that it is nothing serious. No, thank you, uh, Mr. Haller. Have you met uh, Mr. Mavrodopoulos? No. I haven't had the pleasure. This is our English friend, Mr. Graham. How do you do? Nice. The soup is nauseating, Monsieur Graham. I suggest that you do not partake of it. When this woman... Must you keep on? Sorry, my dear. Uh, Tell me, Monsieur Mavratopoulos, are you bound for Athens, or do we enjoy your company as far as Genoa? I go to Athens. Then perhaps I continue on. Or perhaps not. A uh, difficult decision, eh, Mr. Mavratopoulos? Yes. 
And not as your hand, monsieur. It is bandaged. An accident? Nothing serious. A bullet wound, to be exact. Some dirty little thief took a shot at me in Istanbul. Dirty little thief, huh? You must look after yourself carefully. You must be ready to shoot back next time. Oh, I shall. There's not the slightest doubt of that. To carry a pistol, huh? Naturally. That is good. <laughs> One must be so careful. You should be very careful. I don't think it's necessary. That sort of scum doesn't risk his skin with an armed man. The grin that had been on the Romanian's face faded. He hadn't liked that. And then I thought of something. Banat had taken my gun. It must be somewhere in his cabin. If I could slip away for five minutes, there was still a chance. As soon as the luncheon ended, I, I excused myself and I wandered off. I could see Banat engaged in conversation with Mati, and I prayed that it would be a long one. Banat's cabin was strangely bare. A gray raincoat hung with a soft hat behind the door, and a battered suitcase was under the lower berth. But the gun was nowhere to be found. Nor was it anywhere in the cabin. I went to my quarters feeling helpless and needing a drink to steady my nerves. I have been waiting for you, Mr. Graham. Oh, Mr. Haller. I rather think that you have been looking for something. A gun, possibly? Would this be it? Well, I don't understand how you... Uh, no, Mr. Graham. Uh, please, don't come any closer. Uh, sit down. I came to have a little talk with you. Sit down. You know, Mr. Graham, poor Mavrodopoulos, or should I say Banat, is quite upset as I am. You have caused us a great deal of trouble and money. Yes, I begin to see now. I wonder if your name happens to be Voroshin and not Haller. Dear me, I had no idea that you are so well informed. Colonel Haki must have been in a very talkative mood. And did he know I was in Istanbul? I don't think so. I thought not. You see, in order to take care of you, I had to take a hand myself. Barnard was extremely careless at your hotel. When I found yesterday morning that you were to leave on this boat, I had to move very quickly. Luckily, there was a man named Halla who had booked passage with his assistant three days ago... Therefore, I took over his ticket and passport. Uh, poor unfortunate. But it would have been awkward to book passage at the last minute without attracting Colonel Harker's attention. Yes, I imagine it would. Well, now, supposing you come to the point. Certainly. It must be clear to you that we cannot allow you to return to England. The obvious method of ridding ourselves of your presence is to shoot you the moment you land. But that could become complicated. Yeah. It could. The other alternative is to induce you to take a holiday for six weeks or more. I see. In other words, you hold up my return to England so that my company's work would be delayed to the point of uselessness for the Turkish government. You have a keen mind, Mr. Graham. Tonight, we reach Athens. If you like the idea, you will live to see your England again. And uh, if I refuse to take this holiday... Then things will be complicated, will they not? I think you're bluffing. Hasn't it occurred to you that I shall repeat this conversation to the captain? It has occurred to me. As a matter of fact, the purser was telling me about your little talk with him this morning. 
I'm afraid that the ship's officers, including the captain, have enjoyed the joke very much. They call you the mad Englishman and love. Well, Mr. Graham, which is it to be? If I take this holiday, where will it be? In a charming villa near Athens. You will enjoy all the comforts of home, I assure you. I shall give you an hour to think about it. Remember, we are not at war, Mr. Graham. You are not a soldier. In reality, you are doing your country no disservice. No one will ever know. He left me alone. It was not a pleasant choice he had given me. I knew that Banat and he could keep their promise to kill me when I landed. And I was equally sure that the holiday Voroshin spoke of would be a very long one. That either way, I should never return to my wife or to England. And I sat for half an hour smoking and trying to think. And then I remembered. Mati! Yes? Oh, Monsieur Graham. May I speak to you for a moment? But of course. What is it? Uh, Monsieur Graham, ma chère. Uh, would you come into my cabin? Certainly. I shall be back in a moment, my dear. I, I, I need your help. I thought that you looked serious. Uh, is it money? Uh, no. No, I want you to take a message for me when we dock at Athens. A message? Monsieur Mati, you are the only man aboard I feel that I can trust. Oh, I am honored. Listen. I'm employed by a British armor manufacturer. Uh-huh. I, I'm working in joint service with the British and Turkish governments. No. When I get off the ship tonight, an attempt will be made to kill me. This is true? Yes, I'm afraid it is. What I want you to do is to go to the Turkish consulate in Athens and give him a message for me. Will you do that? Uh, I will do it. You realize the message is highly confidential? I will say nothing. Thank you. All right, then, this is it. Inform Colonel Haki, Istanbul, that Graham is forced to accompany Soviet agents Voroshin and Banat, traveling with passports of Halle and Mav... Mavropopoulos. Is it possible? Unfortunately, it is. Well, uh, go on. In the event of my death, please inform the British consul that these men are responsible. Mon Dieu, so that is why you looked sick when I spoke of Mavropopoulos this morning. Alors, why do we not together shoot down the filthy swine? I have my revolver. You have a gun? Uh, Here? But yes, when one travels... Well, then there is something else you can do for me. Let me buy your revolver. I will not sell it to you. I give it to you. Here. Oh, thank you. But, but let me help you. No, no, no. This is huh? splendid. Oh, I am grateful, Monsieur Mati. And you will take the message? It is understood. Have no fear. A half an hour later, I told Boroshin that I would agree to his plan. I'm sure that he didn't believe me, but nor did he know that I was armed. It was a forlorn hope. But if I was going to die... I would have the satisfaction of knowing that others would die with me. At eight o'clock, the Sestre Levanti was approaching her berth. I had agreed to pass through customs and to meet Voroshin on the street. As I stood at the rail watching the key drawing closer, I saw Banat standing to one side, hand in pocket and a fat smile on his face. He knew that he was going to earn his fee tonight. Voroshin stepped off the ship first, turned... Waved cheerily to me. Banat followed him and they both disappeared into the custom shed. I walked slowly down the gangway 
Mr. Kuvertli came pushing after me. Mr. Graham. Mr. Graham. Please. Yes, what is it? Colonel Hockey would be very angry with me if I allowed you out of my sight. Hockey, I wanted to tell you before on deck, but Barnard was watching. I did not dare to say anything earlier. Your face gives away too much, Mr. Graham. You, Kuvertli, you're a Turkish agent? One of Hockey's men? Yes. I nearly gave the game away when I spoke of my non-existent tobacco firm. I thought you would know when the Frenchman questioned me. Colonel Hockey wanted to be sure that you caught your plane safely. That is why I was aboard. But what can we do? Together we go through customs, and then we shall see. Customs inspection, as ever on the continent, was slow. Although I found myself wishing that it would never end. But it did. And if Cuvetli had a plan, he evidently didn't feel it worth mentioning. He smiled at everyone. The plump little businessman who, to all appearances, would deal in ladies' finery rather than international intrigue. And we found ourselves, suitcases in hand, walking toward the street. So that is over. I find this inspection so tedious. Now, look here, Kubatli. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for your presence, but what are we going to do? Borushin and Banata waiting out there with a the car. They're waiting for me. I know, I know. It has all been arranged. But you mean that we walk through those doors and do nothing? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you will see. Well, I hope you have a gun. I have. Good. So have I. Oh? Yes. Thanks to the Frenchman. There they are. Do we run for it? Go on walking, Mr. Graham. Keep your hand away from your pocket. That's it. Are you mad? They'll kill us. You, Mr. Graham, not me. Go on. Under my overcoat is a gun. Please do not make trouble. Go on. Oh, what a blithering idiot. You're one of them, too. We're ready, Borishin. Oh, taken long enough. Hurry up. He's got a gun, Borishin. Left hand pocket. Get in, Mr. Graham. Look out! <laughs> I remember a perfect fusillade of shots, and then something cracked me on the skull, and I was falling. It was all very dark and comfortable. Mr. Graham. Mr. Graham. Mm. Mr. Oh. Graham. Ah. He is all right. Mr. Graham, Mr. Kopekin, and Colonel Hackey, mm. you are safe. Oh. Oh, good show. You've been unconscious. Really? You are at the airport now. You see, we found the bodies of two men in Ankara. They were archaeologists, Halar and his assistant. I realized that Borishin and one of his men must have boarded the ship using their passports. Yes, I found that out. We flew a government plane here, Kopekin and I, to wait for you. The Greek authorities were kind enough to assist. Yes, uh, very, very kind. Not at all. And now, my dear fellow, the plane is waiting to take you to England. We'll see you safely aboard. Yes. Um, I say, what about Barnett and Borashin and Kuvetli? Oh, yes. It was rather unfortunate. After you fell, they tried to get away in the car. Someone hit a tire. There was a smash-up. The petrol tank exploded. <laughs> a tragedy. Oh, yes. Well, 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 it's very decent of you. My dear fellow, it has been a pleasure. Come along. We will help you to your plane. I am sure you're anxious to get home to England and your wife. Come along. (laughs) 
under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you Journey into Fear by Eric Embler, especially adapted for Escape by Anthony Ellis. Ben Wright was starred as Graham. Featured in the cast were Wilms Herbert, Edgar Berrier, Rolf Sedan, Ann Morrison, Jack Crucian, Lou Krugman, and Shimon Ruskin. The special music for Escape was composed and conducted by Ivan Detmars. Next week, Escape with us to Malaya and the reeking stricken city of Lapore, where a young doctor and a beautiful girl are faced with the horrors of plague and the bloody holocaust of a native revolt, as Charles Israel tells it in Funeral Fires. Stay tuned now for Make Believe Town, which follows immediately on many of these same CBS stations. Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, where you spend an hour with Frank Sinatra every Sunday afternoon on the Columbia Broadcasting System. Must run, folks. A very, very happy Thanksgiving to our American friends. See you next week. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>